Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shear. Yes, we are starting slightly tardy for those people that are on line with us uh, live. Uh, I apologize. Might have is a little later now. The shear has might have gets later. The shear is going to end up by line 15 ish starting, I guess, which just makes life easier for me so I don't have to go after what's the might have. Um, this year, of course, the Nishmas, Amelia Basara, and Aaron Baruch Halevi and Yudha Halevi. This Shabbos is also the yard site. Okay, this is a trick. Okay, sorry. There's also the yard site of Yitzchak ben Mardachai, Yud Bey Sivan, Shamashav Aliyah, should be a for the entire family, as he now is joined by his dear wife. Um, and at yard site, especially on the Shabbos, gets a little more difficult on the Shabbos. Those that are not capable of davening three times in Tfilis on Shabbos, Tfilis gets a little harder. If a person is in the middle of the year for one parent, it is brought down they should pay somebody for the day of the yard site, <coughs> say Kaddish for the Nifter, the same for for the year, so that the yard site should be totally dedicated to the Nifter. Um, could be some lucky Shamus wrote that law. Uh, simply so he can make the money when he says the Kaddish. Um, it makes sense. It has. Yes, Shagayim and Dabra, of course. But, um, but either way, the Shamus should both have an Aliyah. And, uh, High prayers for his children here on this world. I'm sure he's looking after them, looking down on them. It's not his first yard site. Yud Beit Sivan is a very, very special day in its own. Shabbos blesses the entire week. Yud Beit Sivan is a very, very special date. As Yud Sivan is the day that we finish the Tashlumim, Yud Sivan was the day that the Rebbe, I've recounted the story numerous times, on Shabbos it was, and the Rebbe came down to Shul on a very, very surprise, random visit um, into the into 770, and the Rebbe was walking with a kli in his hand, the negavas, the kvart, with water, a towel over his holy arm, that it was walking to the front of the shul. And then I got to the front of the shul, there was no chal, <laughs> there was nothing, nobody anticipated this whatsoever. They got a chalas, um, they found a bowl for the Rebbe to wash into, the Rebbe washed, the Rebbe sat up on his place in the front of the shul, his davening place, and he spoke, he spoke, several sikhas, 
Excuse me, about the days you made Tashlumim, the days that we make up for the Karbanis, since two days of Shavuos was not enough to bring all the Karbanis they needed to bring. <coughs> Therefore, they had until the twelfth day of the month, which they brought Karbanis, and that's why, of course, we don't say Tachnun until Yud Beis Lachedish. <coughs> Yud Beis included. And that Fabrengen spoke very, very deep. It was very deep Fabrengen, actually. And the Rebbe then gave out Kesha Bracha. The Rebbe benched up on the spot and gave out after Maidiv to each and every um, one of the gathered. Anyone that had merited to be there. Obviously, <laughs> when the Rebbe came in, there were maybe nary 20 people in the shul. But by the time the Rebbe washed, there were a couple of hundred people already. And of course it grew throughout the evening. Throughout the Fabregen, it grew and it broadened and obviously got harder to hear. This week's Pasha is not the longest Pasha of the Chumash. Very, very rich Pasha, of course. Um... We'll start with the, not with the Nasir's Reish necessarily. Um, it's the beginning, it's the second chapter, the second Chumash in the, the second parish of the Chumash. So it's Periches Posig Zayin, Vizvadu, Eschatosom, Asherosu, and they will confess the sins that they had done prior to bringing the actual sacrifice, to bringing the actual carbon. They would say vidui, they would say a confession on the animal. And the Pasha tells us this mitzvah is vadu es chatosu to make a confession. And this is a mitzvah of vidui. We have this mitzvah of vidui, we do every Yom Kippur, we say vidui on Yom Kippur several times. Just simply to confess on the sins. And the Rambam writes in Sefer Mitzvahs, Mitzvah say Ayin Gimel, a positive commandment, number 73, positive commandment. Shetzivonu lezvadis al ha'avenes v'achatoyim shechatonu lefnei ha'keel. V'lemerei samim ha'tshuva. Commandment, the Rambam counts this as a mitzvah say, a commandment to confess on the sins that they sin before Almighty and say them with their tshuva. Therefore, the mitzvah of Vidui is one of the 613 mitzvahs according to this, according to the Rambam. As we said before, mitzvah 73. The question is asked why Dafka Vidui? Why the confession? It's part and parcel of the tshuva. Of repentance. So the mitzvah to do tshuva. Why does it get marked a separate mitzvah to confess the confessions? So much so that the tshuva is almost worthless, practically worthless, without it. And this tshuva itself is not counted in the 613 mitzvahs. The mitzvah to do tshuva is not mentioned in the 613 mitzvahs. 
the mitzvah to confess the confessions that is in there. There are three answers given on this. Firstly, tshuva is not counted as part of the mitzvahs. Nobody is commanded to do tshuva. If a person wants to do tshuva, wants to rectify his sin, the Torah advises him how to do it. But on tshuva, to do tshuva itself, is no commandment. And therefore the vidri is the mitzvah. But the tshuva itself isn't. A little deeper of a thought. Everything that we do, tshuva, this awakens within us our inner strength. Awakens within us, and within us our heartfelt, true feelings. How we really feel. How we want to return to God. This, and Chassidus explains, is a sarusa de sata. This is an awakening from the person themselves. So we can't make a commandment that you should reach within you and find within you the strength to... It doesn't sit. But there is a commandment that doesn't come from the person himself. And this the person needs to do. Therefore, the Torah did not command them the tshuva. Only from the person himself, something that the person himself pulls out, but rather on the vidui. Secondly, tshuva is a generalization. And therefore it's not counted amongst the 613 mitzvahs. See, mitzvah For example, there's in the Torah commandment, Umaltem es orlas levavchem. You should cut off the orla on your heart, the deep, the hard feeling within your heart, and your necks you should not harden again. Even though it's not considered in one of the section of thirty mitzvahs, because it's also a generalization, but it's in essence a fundamental mitzvah, a fundamental, fundamental action that one needs to do to keep Torah and mitzvahs. One needs to open their heart one needs to direct their heart, direct their words, direct their actions to good, to thinking positive, to acting positive, to being positive. And this explanation, come on in, right here. This actual explanation goes on the way it's explained that the 613 mitzvahs 
they are an example of the 613 parts of the body, organs of the body. That just like the person has... In the list of their parts, their body parts, and their blood, and their veins, and their sinews, each one of its own has its own function. If God forbid any one of these limbs, veins, or sinews lacked the essence of his life, they would not function. What is that essence? The blood. The blood needs to flow throughout the person's body. And it goes to each and every one of the organs. Just for the record... (laughs) Keeping score at home, this this example is brought on in Mesechus Makis Chav Gimel. and also on Samach Vov Ahmed Beis. And therefore, although all the organs are not counted. That each one is separate in their own entity. But the blood is what runs the show. And just like we don't count the blood as an organ, the same thing tshuva. It's a concept that awakens from the depth of the heart. It's a generalization and therefore it is not counted as one of the 613 mitzvahs. A third reason. Vida and tshuva are one thing. So much so that Amam says, Anyone that confesses the sins, the words, but doesn't fully repent in their hearts, it's as if they're dipping in the mikveh with a sheretz in their hands. A unclean, impure um, creature. So, whereas this mitzvah has two parts to it, the chedek, the part of action, and the part of emotion, it's all counted in the mitzvahs, only chilek of maise, chilek that we do. And therefore, the counting of the, count, the numbers of the mitzvahs, only vidui and atshuva. Because it is a dover shabalev, tshuva. According to this, we understand now. What the Ramam is talking about, the tshuva, is a mitzvah, even a mitzvah pratis, but it's generalization together with the vidui. However, the tshuva itself is higher than all mitzvahs, but it can't be left the maila. It needs to be done here the mata. Each person in his own, and it should bring the person 
to be able to be mekayim the mitzvah of a pail. The Chazal tell us, tshuva umaisim tevim. Always wish a person should re- achieve tshuva and maisim tevim. In the time of the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, there was a parrot, a landowner, that happened to also have uh, possession, basically, of the city of Lubavitch. And many people were uh, subsequently subjected to his shenanigans and decrees, etc., Pleasant, he was not, to say the least. But he wasn't pleasant to anybody equally. Not to the Jews and non-Jews. But it was a pretty nasty situation. One day, Samot said they called over one of his chassidim. And he said, I want you to go to the parrots. Tell them it's time to change. So I said it's time to change. Poor Chassid started trembling. He was shaking like a lulav. His hands were shaking. He was feeling his feet are going out from under him. His knees were banging together. Go to the parrots and tell him a message from the Rebbe. The the amount of guard dogs and guards and, and anti-Semitans that were waiting over there by those doors, any Jew that came within, who knows how close to the Paris castle was, was destroyed. So Tzedek said to him, this is just to show you how a Rebbe takes care of a Chassid, even though the Chassid sometimes lacks a little bit in Amuna of the Tzaddik. Because the fact is, Samuel Tzaddik said something, go do it. Chassid picks himself up and runs. He'll get eaten by a dog, he'll eat by whatever it is, but the Rebbe told him to do it. The Rebbe saw at Kimbreda, he has no choice with this fellow. So he told the fellow, you know what? I'm going to teach you one of God's hidden names. And I will teach you how to use it. <clears throat> this will protect you. Chassib ah. is almost semi-relieved now. Still petrified. He's fought Abbas of Adam. He's a human being, flesh and blood. Although he knows and believes that the Rebbe is not going to let him down, and the Rebbe is going to be with him, and he could trust the Rebbe to the umpteenth level, and he knows the Rebbe would never do anything to hurt him. But, but, but it's scary what he's telling him to do. So the Rebbe sat with him for a while and taught him the name of Hashem. And told him to think it, to concentrate on it. Of course, never to tell anybody. Whenever he feels he's in danger. And this will protect him. Now, <laughs> <laughs> for a time filler we can dramatize the story and tell you how 
He came up against the dogs and he thought God's name and he got through. And he came up against the God. Listen, I wasn't there. And I'm sure that Chassid repeated the story just saying that he ended up being able to go through everything. He didn't elaborate which tree it was that he hid behind when the dogs came chasing him. <coughs> or if the dogs chased him at all. If he saw the dogs, thought Hashem's name, and the dogs didn't bother him. He saw the guards, he walked past them with Hashem's name. He walked through the door of the palace. I think he knocked. I'm not sure of that prat. And he came into the palace, and he stood there in front of the parrots. The parrots looked at him and who let this guy in here? Where did you come from? The chassid started to... But then he realized. He just has to say Hashem's name. And he's good to go. So, the chassid looked at the parrots I didn't, I didn't continue the story, I waited till you get back on. Chassid looked at the parrots and said, The Rebbe that Tzemach Tzedek said, It's time for you to change. Give it up. The parrots looked at him. The Rebbe that Tzemach Tzedek said, and The parrots became timid. He was taken aback. Chassid turned around. I did mine. And he booked it out of there. I had to see exaggeration. I'm sure he just walked out. And he headed back to the Tzemach And as soon as he was out of any kind of danger, any kind of any range of the palace, the name that he was taught was totally forgotten. Anyway, rumor had it, a few days later, the parrots went out hunting. But he asked his guards not to come with him this time. He wants to do it himself. He went out hunting. And a few hours later, I'm sorry, a few hours later, the horse returned without its rider. And the parrots disappeared entirely. And that was it, the end of the parrots, the end of his decrees. But several days later, a man in torn clothing and tatters, disheveled hair, came into Bismedish, sat down, opened it to Hillam, and started to say to Hillam, and said to Hillam with tremendous tears and fervor, And the Chassidim understood. This must be the Paretz. The Paretz was indeed a Yid. He was born a Yid. Unfortunately, whatever transpired that he ended up, Chassidim, converting. And... Now that Samach Tzedek sent him the message, time to return, he was back. The story doesn't end. The story doesn't end. 
Chassidim saw what happened here. They saw how the Tzemach with one word got this fellow to do tshuva. Now a chassid is a chassid. And a chassid obviously does teda, does mitzvahs, does what they have to do, the way they have to do. But a chassid also, when they sit down and they do cheshmer and nefesh, they take stock of their own life, they find their own flaws. And they remiss over it. And they do tshuva for it in their own ways. Some of them fast, some of them... Whatever it is they do. So the elder Chassidim saw this, and saw that Samosadik with one word could turn a person's life inside out. And they approached the Samosadik. Listen to this beautiful story. And they said to the Samosadik Rebbe, why won't you do this for us? Why won't you say the word to us to make us be able to do tshuva completely? Tzemach Sedek said, My dear children, a shepherd, when he looks after his flock, there's so many sheep. You can't give each one individual attention. He'll whistle, he'll throw little pebbles to get them back on track, to get them in together. But to give each one individual attention is very difficult. But if Chas Shalom any given sheep has an issue, strays, goes off in a way that it can't get its way back, can't just be cajoled back, can't just be hinted back, but needs unconditional love and attention. It needs to be lifted up on your shoulders. It needs to be carried back to the flock. It needs to be petted. It needs to be spoken to. It needs to be given water. It needs to be given its own full attention. That's when the shepherd has to do his job that way. But in generalization, the shepherd looks at all the sheep as a flock, and sees to it that they all come into place in their own way. And this is how tshuva comes about in a person's heart. And this is how one could awaken tshuva in a person's heart. Ish asheyitim lakoyim leyihiyah. The Torah commands each and every Jew to bring to the Beis Hamikdash Bikurim, 
Reishis Bikure Admosai, the first fruits of their land. The mitzvah of Bikurim, the person brings up and he praises God on the multitude, on the plentifulness, on the blessings that he's granted. And he brings it to Hashem. The gifts that he was given, he comes to bequest it to God. And it's brought to the Besamidash, Reishis Hayevu. Reishis Hayevu, the first of his growing. What do they do with this Bikurim? Terah tells us in our Pasha, Bechal Truma, she ekrivu lekayin She goes to the Kayin. Chazal tell us, Ba'akosu v'limed ala Bikurim, she unisunum lekayinam. The Pasuk is coming to teach us about the Bikurim that is given to the Kahanim. Question is asked. If the Bikurim are given to the Kahanim, why does the Tater say, Tovi, base Hashem Elekecha? Bring it to the house of God your God. Tater should say, simple. Come, give it to the Kahanim. Why tell us about this side trip coming to God's house? It's a lesson. It's a message. A very powerful message. The Torah is teaching us Tavi Beis Hashem Alekecha. The Torah comes to tell the Nefesh Yehudi, the Jewish soul, how they need to recognize that the Bikurim belongs to God. And therefore, first and foremost, they need to bring it to the house of God. Once there, HaKadosh Baruch says, what do I want you to actually do with this now, my children? Give it to the Kahanam. Bikurim, for those of you that do your planting on your own and grow your own fruits and vegetables, I'm sure many of you do, because who can afford to go to supermarkets or to, to bingo or to uh, pomegranates or to start giving out shouting names, kosher town or, or uh, marketplace, empire kosher. So I'm sure you all grow your own fruits and vegetables. So you know how hard it is to toil to plant, to take care of, and to nurture, and to keep watering, till you get the proper fruit and vegetable. Tells us the Teda, after all that work, the first fruits, that you're so excited to see, these are the fruits of your hand, the labors of your, of your labor, of your back-breaking labor, that you planted and you sowed and everything, what are you to do with those first fruits? Bring them to the Kayin. Wow. 
This is a lesson. For those that don't do farming, for those that don't have fields and don't have planting trees, don't have fruit trees or vineyards, the mitzvah of Bikurim educates the person to give to the Almighty the first thing. The sweat of the person's back, this back-breaking, painful toil that the person does, they should know that what they reap from this, they give to Hashem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is blessed, blesses them with Shefa, with Bracha, and Atzlacha. I worked hard for this. I worked hard to amass what I have. Tells you Hashem, I want you to take off the top and give the tzedakah. <coughs> A little voice is whispering in my ear. The Yetzirah says, Hey, come on. They need to get the best off the top, the first quality. If you're going to give them At least give it to shul, give it to yeshiva. To a place where they sit and they learn teda. Why do I have to give this hard work, the best of my fruit, to a man, a poor man, a, a nebuch that can't make a living, a nebuch that has a large family and doesn't have enough money to put food on his table. Why do I have to give it to him if I can give it to a maizid, I can give it to an organization, I can give it to a group of people. And if I have to give it already to the poor, why one poor person? I'll give it to many poor people. Divide it up. Let them all have one bite. Why should, they, why should one man have enough to feed his family if I can make a hundred people not have enough to feed their family? That's the mentality of the Yitzhahara. Therefore, the Tater comes and tells us. First and foremost, the person needs to remember Abikurim are not yours. They belong to God. Base Hashem Alekecha. If the Yetzirah comes along and he twists your mind and he turns your head inside out with all these different types of ideas, telling you that maybe the connection you've done, the connection you have, the connection you're making with this one poor person, with this one particular person, is not the way to go. You should connect with hundreds of people and say three words to each one, rather than connect to this one person and say all the words to them. You should give to all the other people, instead of giving to one. This is because the person is still tied up. And this is a person that is still confused what to do with his money for tzedakah. The person needs to understand that tzedakah, the money that he's giving, is not 
his at all. I worked for it. What do you mean it's not mine? I didn't sleep nights, I didn't sleep days, I didn't eat days. So much I went through in order to get all this to amass my money. What do you mean it's not mine? These machshavas cannot come into a person's head. These thoughts may not pass through a person's mind. Even if you work for the IRS. The money that you have, that you earn, belongs to Hashem. Granted, you need to live. But if you have money to give for tzedakah, if you can afford to give tzedakah, know this, you're not giving yours. You are the banker for Hashem, and I've said this several times. We say this in Birchas Hamazin, in Grace After Meals. Not through the gift of the person or through their loans, rather, from your hand itself, God, do I want to be able to have sustenance. Whoever got a check from God, God's bank account, did you ever see a transfer come into your bank, into your cash app, into your PayPal, into anything that you own that has money, that earns money for you, that holds money for you? Did you ever see it come from God? If you did, watch out. The IRS will be on your back in a minute. Elamai, I need to come out to a person. I need to get their gifts. I need to have a loan. I earn money. I make a living of sort. You do the calculations what a person actually needs to make a living today. It's astronomical. So every so often a person needs the loan. The person appreciates the person that sends them a check or a gift for something. How do I say later that Maras Pusavadam Lelavasam? How do I say that mentioning? It's hypocritical. But rather by saying, just like we just said, that the rich person, when he gives tzedakah, should know and understand he's not giving his, he's giving God's. And therefore, he should give it full-heartedly, off the top the way he should. The same way the recipient should feel it's not you, Mr. Millionaire, Mr. Billionaire, Mr. Trillionaire, that's giving me this check. This is coming from Hashem. And he should feel it that way. Even if it's a matana or, or, or a, a loan, he should feel that it's coming from Hashem. But don't say that too loud, because I say that and the person says, oh, in other words, when I take a loan, it's coming from Hashem. So I'll tell the guy, Hashem will pay you back. Don't, you don't do that. Mishnah tells us, if a person who borrows and doesn't pay back, it doesn't say nice things about them in Pichyavas. And we're learning now Pichyavas every week. We've learned it now for six weeks. And many Chabad and many other people go throughout the summer learning it. So you definitely have to pay back your loans. You shouldn't have to borrow. You should have your own. Everyone should have multitude of whatever they need. Yodah, Amleya, Psucha, Ketoisha, with a way that Hachova, that they should be able to say, and they should be able to just say, I have everything I need plus, and where, who can I help? 
And they should have a hard time finding somebody to help because everybody else has it also. Hashem Zakhayachal. Hashem can see to support everybody. But only after that he establishes it, establishes within his soul, that the tzedakah is, belongs to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then he achieves to reach the level, to the shlav, to the stage of giving out the pail, of distributing Without the Yitzhahara, a person can pay. And then we have the words of the Chazal, Ish asheyitin l'koyin lo'yihiyah. The person that gives to the koyin lo'yihiyah, to him it will be. When the person gives from his money to the koyin, Hashem will bless him with shefa, bracha, v'atzlocha. And there's so much so, that as much as they'll give, it won't affect them and this is the story of Rabbi Akiva which we've told many times when he was asked how can a Jew feed a poor Jew when you feed the poor Jew you're going against God's commandments God decreed that this man be poor how can you go and give him if I had a, if I was a king and I threw a, a servant I saw a, a a prisoner, into a cell, and I said he should die of hunger, and I found out somebody fed this servant, I would kill him on the spot. How then could you give food to somebody that God decreed not having money? To not have food? The Bekibet said to him, my dear friend, if you were a king, and your son, the prince, the crown prince, made a mistake. He did something wrong. And you got so angry, you threw him in prison. You threw him in prison. And he was so angry, you decreed he should die of hunger. Your anger, your anger is subsided. When your anger subsided, you started to miss your son. You started to feel remorseful, remiss what you did. You don't want to lose your son, God forbid. And you start to hope and pray that he didn't die of hunger. And you come to the cell and you see that he's sitting there healthy and robust. Oh, oh, I'm so happy you didn't die of hunger. And the, the prince turns to him and says, Dad, I will tell you the truth. Minister so-and-so had pity on me. And therefore, he fed me. He saw to it that I had food. Hello. And therefore, now that you fed him, the king is not going to punish that person. The king is going to look for that person and reward him profusely because he saved his prince. But it was against the decree of the king. 
but the king will be happy. I got today a message on WhatsApp. A story. The Zidl tells the story he was in Chicago and he ended up davening in a not Chabad minion. Um, we'll put it that way. Put it very, very simple and very nicely. They were not sympathizers of Chabad either. And um, Shabbos and one of the fellows there was known to have a nice pleasant voice and daven nicely so they asked him to daven Musaf for the Amit to lead the service of Musaf and he said the Kaddish and he began the Chazar Sashats and when he came to Keser for Hu Aleikeinu he sang to Lubavitcher Hu Aleikeinu as it's known the Rebbe is nigging that the Rebbe taught. Whoa. This was not well taken. This did not sit well with the people. Well, needless to say, they didn't spare a moment, and immediately after davening, they confronted him. And they said, hey, buddy, do you know what that song is? He says, sure. It's Lubavitch and Iggy. What are you singing a Lubavitch song here? He says, whenever I can pay tribute to the Lubavitch Rebbe, I do it. These guys wanted to hang him. They misnagged him. They, they did not like Lubavitch at all. And here this fellow is coming into their shul infiltrating. He's an infidel. He says, let me tell you a story, Kinder. I work for High Lifeline. One day, I woke up in the morning. I'm a reputable fellow, everybody likes me. And I had a horrific rash on my forearm. It just broke out from knuckled from the wrist to my elbow. It was on fire. It was excruciatingly painful. I ran to the doctor, sent me to a dermatologist. Zero. They had no idea what to do with it, what it is. They gave me creams, they gave me uh, pills, they gave me... They say in Yiddish, and I was pretty much resigning to the fact that I'm going to be living with this pain and this ugly rash on my arm the rest of my life. I was sitting in my office in Chaylife, in and a very, very wealthy donor from South America called me. I said, are you in the office? And he said, yes. I said, yes. And he said, she said, I'd like to come by and bring you a check. Please. She came and she donated a very, very nice sum of money. That doesn't mean the High Lifeline has enough money. I said, don't, don't <laughs> take the wrong way. They need all they can get. And she says to me, I have a flight this evening, a few hours. Would you take me to the airport? 
I don't like going with these taxis and I don't know who they are. Do you have a few minutes, baby? I'm sorry to bother you, but would you be able to? Needless to say, a donor like this, how could you say no? She says to him, I need one more favor. He says, yeah. I'm going to Kennedy Airport. Do you mind? I'd like to go to the Ohel first, to the Ohel of the Rebbe. <laughs> the guy says, okay, I don't know where it is, but I'll look it up. <coughs> he looked it up. He got the address. For those that are listening and don't know where the oil is, in reference to the JFK airport, it's approximately seven minutes away from the airport. And uh, he took her to the oil. And she went in and he sat in the car. Then he says, well, am I a tippish? Am I stupid? Why am I sitting in the car? I'm here already. I'm not a chosid. But it's supposed to be, I mean, it's a holy place of sorts, whatever that ever was, whatever that it was to me, or to anybody else in my circles, but... I'll go say if you could put like Tillum, what's going to hurt? Tillum is Tillum. What's the name is where I say it. So I also went into the and I dive and I said some Tillum there. I'll be very honest, I don't think I even thought about my arm, or asking for a bracha for my arm, or anything of the sort. Because, I came out, I waited for her to finish, to go to the airport. That night, the Rebbe comes to me in the dream. And the Rebbe asks, do you know this and this person? I happen to remember somebody, vaguely this person. Do you have any unfinished business with this person? I don't think so, told the Rebbe. I woke up. It was unnerving. Considering I never went to Lubavitch Rebbe before, I never really saw him. I knew of him as a picture, but I, like, he's coming to me, telling me about this person that I had unfinished business with. I had no idea what the Rebbe was talking about. He said, I went back to sleep. I went back to sleep, and the Rebbe came again. The Rebbe said, the man is waiting for your call. Please call him and finish the business. Don't leave it undone, unfinished. Needless to say, I was spooked, to say the least. And the next day, I was sitting in my office, and I, believe it or not, had nothing to do for a few minutes. I said, Nach badly, what does it bother me? I looked up the guy's number, and I called him. And he says, Oh, I'll wait for your call. I'm looking for you. We have some unfinished business. Give me a cup of grapefruit just in the fridge, please. Shalom. We have some unfinished business. And now that you're calling me, thank God, let's finish it up. And we finished off the business. It was very, very pleasant. Great experience. We did well together. We understood each other. It was perfect. Uh, went home from the office, went to sleep that night. I woke up in the morning, my arm was totally clear. There was not a remnant, not a, a blotch, not a scar from this whole rash.
So I ask you, my friends, he says, to this Litvish minion, you want to tell me that the Rebbe doesn't deserve to be given paid tribute to? And with that, he rested his case. Found it? Yeah. I'm recording. Please be quiet. Rechaim Scranton, Shabbat Shabbat should be a good better for the family. Should bring a lot of sinkers and nachas for your children. And long life to you and to your wife, Rechaim. A very interesting part of this week's parsha. Ubevoy Moshe. Chapter 7, Pasuk Pites, that's possible. Vaymeisha al-Eilmeid l'dabar itay. When Moshe comes to Eilmeid to speak to him, Vayishman sakum l'dabar elav, and he hears the voice speaking to him. Vibayn shnei akruvim, between the two kruvim, Vayidabar elav, and he spoke to him. Says Rashi, Yochel, I think, Kel Namuch, is a, a soft voice talking directly to Mesha. Talmud Lema is Hakel. The voice. Who Hakel, Shinadabri Mebis Sinai, is the same voice that he spoke to him in Sinai. Ukashimagia the Pesach, when he got to the door of the Mishkan, Hayanifsak, the Yetzel Chutzlail. He didn't leave the Sinat of the Mishkan, the El Mayid. He didn't leave the El Mayid. Here we have to understand. What was the reason for this great miracle? That it should reach till the Pesach El Mayid and not be heard beyond. What would happen if it went outside? We could say perhaps that Rashi answers this the way he's saying it. It's the same voice that was heard in Sinai. By saying this, we see that after Matan Teda, as the time went of the 50 years, this curl never continued again. So when Rashi says, this is a time telling us when this happened, when this voice stopped. What's the reason for this? Because after Matan Teda, the Kail Godel of Akadish Baruch stopped. Had it continued, we would never have freedom of choice. We'd always be hearing that loud voice of God. And we'd have to complete his mitzvahs. We hear the voice of the Shekhinah, the voice saying, How can a person do an Aveda? More than that, in Tarchum it says, it brings down the reason and the Tachlis. 
that what that Hakadosh Baruch Hu created the world. That's in order that he should be able to have a dira b'tachtinim. That even in the lowest of place in Taktin, where Shkina is not revealed, there too a Jew needs to be able to influence with his Aveda and to bring there the light of Kedusha. Therefore the voice stops after Matan Teira so that we can do our own. We can complete the reason for the world being created. To reveal the light of the Shkina also in a place where Kailoi, his voice and his words are only revealed through us. And this way also we see the union of Kailoi of Akash Baruch Hu, was listened, was heard only by Moshe. And that's why it says, Kail Nedaber Imoi Besinai. The voice that was spoken to him in Sinai. For if the Kail would be Mamshech and heard, also and it would reach the entire world the world would not be able to work on its own reconnaissance therefore the, oil, the world had to be in the beginning and the voice stops so that a person can work on themselves bring about their own Kedusha and listen to the voice rather than listening to the voice of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. and this is also the message and the lesson to us we need to strive. We need to work on ourselves to see to it that we can achieve. To see to it that we can ascertain and come to levels that we never imagined we can reach. There are times we want to express ourselves and we can't express ourselves because we allow it to remain within us. But we want to be able to put out this expression. We want this voice to carry. We want this voice to be heard. We want our message to be heard so that the people involved would understand and know where it's coming from. It tells us the Teda that the Kail stayed within the Ilmayid, but we are the ones that need to carry it out further. This is our task, this is our job. This is our mission, so that we see to it that we make the dira b'tachtenim, that the seeds that we plant, the bikurim that we're going to bring, should all be from the first fruits, knowing that they all indeed belong to Hashem. And with this, we will be able to go to Baaleischas Hanedais, after Nasei Yisraelish, lifting up our heads, We'd be able to be Bahalaiskas Hanedais, go out in the world, kindle the candles, light up the world, and see to it that the entire world is shining. And we have the ultimate shine, the ultimate light of the Geula, Amitas, Hashlema, Mashiach Tzidkenu. This very Shabbos, to see Bahalaiskas Hanedais once again, Aaron Hakayin. Lighting the Meneda in the Beis Hamidash. Shabbat Shalom to all.